Well, it's good to see you this morning. I will say this, uh, you look better from the front than the back. I've been watching the back of your head for about a year and a half, and the front definitely looks a whole lot better. Uh, I know as uh, Blake shared those things about me, the part of his introduction that makes this morning a little strange is that indeed I was the last pastor of Valley Creek Baptist Church, having served for 18 years. And so the fact that I stand before you as the candidate today for your new pastor is definitely a unique uh, situation. I think Brother Shane said in all of his years, this is the first time he's run into anything like this. And so I'm sure you have some questions about today and whether I should be your next pastor or not. And hopefully after our time together, some of those questions will be answered. Because actually, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do three things with our message this morning. What we're going to do first is we're going to look at a man named Peter. And we're going to consider what his encounter with Jesus says about God. And then we're going to look at how Peter's experience relates to my experience and the decision about me becoming your pastor again. And then we're going to consider what God might be saying to each of you. And so I hope today you're ready to consider what God's Word says to us. And so if so, I want you to go ahead and take your Bibles out and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus' earthly ministry is just beginning and He's already drawing great crowds People were amazed with his ability to teach God's word. And on this particular occasion recorded in Luke 5, as the crowds got large, Jesus now standing next to Lake Gesenerat, he asked the fishermen there if they were, as they were washing their nets to push their boats out a little bit from the shore so that he could sit on the bow of the boat and to teach those people who were watching on the shore. Now, when he finished speaking, he asked one of the fishermen, Simon, who we all know as Peter, to put out to the deep and cast their nets. In that moment, Peter informed Jesus that they had fished all night and that they had no success. And he told Jesus, we've been fishing and nothing happened. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, you you go ahead. I want you to still catch your nets on the other side. And Peter, at least in that moment, recognized something different about Jesus. And so he and the others with him, they listened to his request, did as he said, and found that as they obeyed Jesus, that they caught such a miraculous catch of fish that the boats even began to sink. Obviously, this astonished the fishermen and Peter. He declared these words about Jesus recorded in Luke 5, 8. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Having heard Jesus speak and now experiencing this miraculous catch, Peter realized that there was something special about Jesus to the point that he recognized that he was a sinful man and didn't even deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. Now, here's what is interesting to me. What's interesting to me is Jesus' response back to Peter because here's what we see Peter experience, a life, a clear, life-changing call. Look at what happened next in verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Here is Peter, who was just a common man, a a fisherman, who one day was going through life as normal, but then had this encounter with Jesus, causing him to recognize his unworthiness before the Lord, but who then had Jesus look at him and say, I'm going to change your life. Yes, you are a fisherman, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now, maybe Jesus used this wording because he knew that the ministry that Peter was going to experience would be similar to the work he had done as a fisherman. First, it would be hard. 
I mean, there's nothing easy about what Peter and the others did as they prepared their nets daily, as they, they took care of their boats daily, as they would maneuver their boats to a fishing spot, as they would catch their nets, as they would then pull in their catches, as they would clean their fish and then prepare to do it again. Nothing easy about that. As a fisherman, Peter also experienced moments that were successful and then moments that were unsuccessful. A fisherman doesn't always catch a large amount of fish on a fishing trip. And then being on the water, there was no doubt moments about that were dangerous. Jesus maybe had been looking at Peter and he said, you know, you had all these experiences as a fisherman and I want you to know, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men and it's gonna be just like that. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be dangerous. Times will be successful. Times will be unsuccessful. But you've experienced it as a fisherman and now you're gonna experience that as a fisher of men because I want you to come, Peter, and I want you to follow me. Now, as we think about this call, it's not such a little thing that we read this in verse 11 where it says, and when they had brought their boats to land, look at this, they left everything and followed him. Now, I don't know how long it took Peter and the others to acquire their boats and all their supplies to fish, but I cannot imagine it was a little thing for them to leave everything and follow Jesus. They were leaving their livelihood. They were leaving their most important possession. They were leaving the life that they had known and choosing to follow Jesus. Much like the old hymn said, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Peter and the others gave their all to Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus' story and Peter's experience with Jesus, you know that he had many amazing experiences. Peter got to see Jesus do miracle after miracle. He got to hear Jesus teach firsthand like no other. Peter also appeared to be a leader among the disciples. What is certain is that Peter was in a special group of three disciples that Jesus had a unique relationship with. Peter even had a moment where he walked on water. Do y'all remember that? And Peter was the one who made one of the most powerful declarations about Jesus when he proclaimed in Luke 9.20 that Jesus was the Christ. And so Peter accepted Jesus' call and was truly blessed in doing so. No doubt, in fact, as you read the Gospels and you read the story about Peter's life and his relationship with Jesus, I think there's a way you come a little bit jealous and you say, you know what? I wish I had the experiences that Peter had. I wish I could have had such a close relationship with Jesus. I wish I could be as bold as Peter was. However, if you read more about Peter, you realize this, that not everything was perfect. Because Peter proved to be a man who was a little impulsive, maybe at times speaking before he thought. And here's what we're going to see about Peter. Yes, he had this life-changing call, but he also had a humbling failure. In Luke 22, Jesus is sharing some of his last moments on earth with his disciples. And soon he's getting ready to be arrested and he's going to be crucified. We can read there in Luke 22 where the disciples debated about who is the greatest. And Jesus looked back at him and said, the greatest is the one who serves Then he says something interesting to Peter. He says these words there in Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I want you to keep in mind that as Jesus spoke here to Peter, he gave Peter a warning that Satan wanted to sift him. I also want you to know that the word you here in the original language is not singular, it's plural. And so as Jesus was saying these words to Peter, he was really looking at all the disciples and he said, I want you to know something, that Satan is coming after you. You be ready, he is ready to sift you. 
Folks, listen, we still need that word of warning today because remember what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, to all of us who are believers, it says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So here in Luke 22, Jesus was giving Peter a warning about Satan's work in his life, but he was also giving him some encouragement. He was telling Peter that he was praying for him and especially that his faith would not fail. Jesus was recognizing that Peter was going to have a moment of failure, but that his failure would not equate to him losing his faith. In fact, Jesus was already pointing beyond that failure, telling Peter that when you've turned again, I want you to strengthen the brothers. And so what Jesus was saying here to Peter may have been discouraging in one sense, but it should have been very encouraging in another. No one likes to be told they're going to fail, but it should be encouraging to know that Jesus is praying for you. Now, Peter's reaction to Jesus' words was probably one any of us would have had. Though maybe he was a little bolder than we might have been, Peter got defensive with Jesus because this is what he says in verse 33. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter spoke confidently saying he was ready to die with Jesus. Jesus saying that he would fail did not set well with Peter. And Peter wanted Jesus to know that he was ready to die with him. And in that moment, failing Jesus seemed like an impossibility to Peter. And he wanted Jesus to know how committed he was. But Jesus made it plain what was going to happen. And he replied this to Peter in verse 34. He said, I'll tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, though I don't know exactly how that made Peter feel, I cannot imagine he felt very warm and fuzzy at that moment, do you? Probably not. Probably a, a little offended that Jesus would make such a prediction. I have to imagine that since Peter had just said that he would die for Jesus, that he had to be a little humiliated that Jesus would say in the presence of all the other disciples before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but you're going to deny me three times. Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures and know Peter's story, you know that what Jesus said comes true. In fact, reading in the scriptures in Luke 22, Peter's failure happens just about 20 verses after the prediction. In fact, in just a matter of hours, what Jesus said is going to come true. Jesus gets arrested. And as Peter follows from a distance, people look at Peter and ask him if he's with Jesus. And we read twice where Peter denies knowing Jesus. And then we read these words in Luke twenty-two fifty-nine 59 and following. And he said, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now there it is, Peter's humbling failure. A man who in a matter of hours earlier had said to Jesus that he was willing to die for him is now emphatically denying that he even knows Jesus. And what is worse, right after that third denial, Jesus turned and looked Peter in the eyes. I mean, can there be a worse feeling than having Jesus, who you have failed, look you in the eyes? 
Here's what I know. I've had to face people that I've failed before and look them in the eyes. It's a very humbling experience. But I cannot imagine looking Jesus in the eye, the one who loves me like no other, the one who died for my sins, the one who has the power to do all things and to take care of me. I could not imagine what it was like to have Jesus look me straight in the eyes at the moment that I had failed him the greatest. But that's what Peter experienced. And we know this was difficult for Peter because of what it said in verse 62. Look at it again. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter didn't just weep about his failure. He wept bitterly. One resource I looked at described bitterly here as weeping with mental anguish. In other words, Peter was clearly shaken to his core because of his failure. He realized that what he had done was not a little mistake, but that it was a big deal. And as we consider Peter's failure, let's recognize something, okay? And we need to hear this, that failure isn't always a bad thing, all right? Failure often leads to great things. Failure clearly can be a great teacher for those who are willing to learn from it. In fact, one statement I recently heard at school was looking at the word fail and let it stand for first attempt in learning. That's pretty good, isn't it? I thought, I like that one, first attempt in learning. I need to remember that. It's good words for students and something we all need to hear as well. The difference in our failure and the results of that failure is how you approach it. It's much like what we read in 2 Corinthians as the Apostle Paul was writing in regards to addressing some failures with the believers at Corinth. He was hoping that they would respond appropriately to their failures that he was addressing. And listen to what he wrote to them. He says, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief, look at this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You see, Paul was wanting these Corinthian believers to learn from their failure. And he knew the key was how they viewed their failure and how they would respond. Paul said, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, while worldly grief produces death. Paul's words remind us there clearly at least two ways we can respond to our failures. The right one is to have a godly grief that leads to repentance, which ultimately changes our life. And as, as look at what Peter experienced here in Luke 22, I believe we can assume based upon what we read in the rest of the scripture that Peter in this moment of failure experienced a godly grief. He was cut to the core. He went out and he wept bitterly, obviously broken over his failure, and he experienced a change. And as we look at Scripture, we don't have a minute-by-minute account of what happened to Peter after that or what happened next, but we know that soon after his failure, he gathered with the other disciples who had abandoned Jesus as well. We know just days later, he hears the news that the tomb is empty, that he runs and he sees that empty tomb. Then he gets to see the risen Jesus with the other disciples and eventually has a special encounter with the risen Jesus where we're gonna see Peter experience this, an amazing restoration. You see, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples several times. If we turn to the gospel of John chapter 21, if you wanna turn there, we see where some days after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. It is interesting to me that on this occasion, where do we find Peter? Anybody know where we find him in this occasion? He's fishing. He's fishing. It's maybe, maybe he's like many of us. When things get tough, what do we do? We find ourselves going back to something comfortable. 
right? That's what Peter did. He, he went back to what was comfortable. He went back to fishing. Peter ran right back there. He and the others had, in fact, spent a whole night fishing with no luck. That sound familiar too? And then Jesus finds them again. And that next morning, Jesus appears and they don't recognize him. And he hollers out to them. He says, what, what do I want you to do? Cast your net on the other side. Again, very similar to when Jesus called Peter the first time. Also, just like the previous occasion, as Peter and the others obeyed, they caught such a large amount of fish, they couldn't handle it. And in that moment, they recognized that it was Jesus on the shore, and they joined him for breakfast. Then we read this in John 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here we see Jesus three times ask Peter if he loved him. And three times Peter acknowledged that he loved him. Three times Jesus also gave Peter a similar command. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, tend or feed my sheep. The fact that in verse 17, it says that Peter was grieved when Jesus asked him a third time tells us that this is an important moment. And honestly, I don't think we have to be mental heavyweights or even theological scholars to understand Jesus asking Peter about his love three times is a way of Jesus pointing back to Peter's failure and letting Peter know that his failure didn't qualify him from serving the Lord, right? We don't have to be mental heavyweights for that, right? We can figure that out. And we know that because Jesus gave him the command in essence to go and serve him by taking care of his sheep. If Jesus saw Peter's failure as a disqualification, Jesus would not have given him the command to serve. But Peter's failure wasn't final, and Scripture clearly records that Peter did just as the Lord commanded as he faithfully and effectively led the early church. Now, Peter wasn't perfect. I mean, he even one time had to be confronted with his prejudice. Life wasn't always easy for him. In fact, life was very tough for Peter at times. But Jesus in this text told Peter that, that life wouldn't be easy. And for our sake this morning, what is important is that Peter restored or Jesus restored Peter to serve him once again. Now, with that said, let's do something. Let, let's pause this morning and, and ask this question. Okay, what does Peter's story tell us? I really think it's pretty clear. It's simply this, that God is a God who restores Praise the Lord, right? Consider how it is stated in Psalm 103. I love this. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, that is who our God is, a God who redeems, a God who restores, a God who can work through our failures and restore us for his glory. Amen? A God who forgives our iniquity, redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. 
I am thankful for Peter's story, which clearly displays these truths about God. I'm glad we have Peter's story recorded in Scripture so that we can be reminded that God can restore from failure. And as we consider that truth of Peter's life, what it teaches us, we have to move on because we have to ask this question. What does this mean for the moment before us today? What does Peter's story have to do with the decision we are faced with as a church this morning? Well, here it is. You ready? Peter's story is very important because I relate to Peter's story. For those of you that know me, you know, you've heard my story before, how I experienced in my life a clear, life-changing call to ministry. Over 30 years ago, I was moving through life, telling God how he was going to use me. I told him he was going to use me to teach and coach, and I was going to influence people through those tasks. As I was pursuing my plans, I, I mean, I miraculously got a teaching job, a full-time teaching job in the middle of the school year, teaching business education, and that was such a miraculous thing. I thought, this is a confirmation. I'm doing everything that God wants me to do. I must be doing things right. I began selling into young adult life with Kim and looking to our future and all that comes with being a young adult fresh out of college. We were even looking at building a house. But it was in that moment when I felt I had everything I wanted, I felt like I had everything together, I thought I knew the direction I was going on when God spoke to me in a way that I tell people today, I'm not sure if it was an audible voice or not, but it was so clear it could have been an audible voice where I heard God say to me very clearly, Scott, you have everything you want, but you know what I want, now you need to choose. Because, you see, God knew something that I had been wrestling with his, his will for years through college. I, I marched to the, the hills of Western Kentucky University asking God hundreds of times, Lord, is this what you want me to do with my life or is there something else? And I knew in my heart what I wanted, but I was running. But in that moment, God said, Scott, you know, you know, you got it all. If you want it, go your way. But you know what I want and you need to choose. So would I listen to the call of God to be a teacher of his word? Or would I continue to pursue my will? Well, you know what I did in that moment. In that moment, I did as Peter did. I left everything. I changed all my plans, all my dreams, all right? Because I knew I needed to pursue God. And for 28 years, I pursued God's call in my life. It was a life-changing experience. And I know this, it was wonderful serving the Lord for those 28 years because God did great things. Now, as I stand before you today, though, I have to say, I'm also like Peter, and I experienced a humbling failure. Not what you would call a moral failure, but in some ways, something worse. Over the last number of years in ministry, what was very clear to me is this, is that Satan was at work in my life, and he was at work in the life of this church. One thing after the other happened that was discouraging and difficult. And I knew in part that what was going on was Satan's work. If you went, I could say this, that Satan was sifting me like wheat, I might have even been bold enough in that moment to say that I was not going to let Satan win in my life for I'm dedicated to God and he's not going to win. However, in the end, I failed just like Peter. I didn't fail in a moment of danger when asked if I was a follower of Jesus, but over time, I let the criticism of people, the perceived abandonment of friends, and the pressure of leading cause me to turn my back on my call. Through the difficulties and pressures, I listened to the voice of Satan that was telling me I wasn't good enough to be serving as pastor. I listened to his voice and convinced myself that I needed to quit. 
I listened to the criticism of a few and convinced myself I had no idea what I was doing. I internalized the abandonment of people that I considered friends and convinced myself that I was no longer fit to lead this congregation. When I should have been leaning on God to deal with those things, I have to confess to you today, I was leaning on my own strength and in the end, I failed. I failed to follow God's call. I tried to disguise my quitting as retirement from ministry, but the reality as I confess to you today is that I simply quit. Tired and not thinking with the mind of God, I quit on God. I experienced a humbling failure. Now, as I make that statement, let me clearly say this, despite that, God is good. God didn't cast me aside. God didn't abandon me. God instead continued to be faithful and continued to bless me more than I deserve. I can say I experienced the power of Jesus praying for me as he did for Peter that my faith would not fail. One thing that didn't change after my failure was my faith in God. There wasn't any deconstructing of my faith that seems to be popular these days. My faith in God remained and God continued to work in my life. He was working to the point where I believe I've experienced an amazing restoration. You see, God has worked in my life in different ways over the last year and a half. He continued to work on those areas of my life where I need to grow. In the last few months, though, God worked in a few ways specifically that allows me to be standing before you this morning. One of those ways was his continual pursuit of me that led me one day while mowing the grass and by the way, if you don't know this, mowing the grass is a great place to talk to God, Amen. right? It is, he is, all right? So one day I was, I was mowing the grass, having a conversation with God, having this talk with him, and in a moment of prayer on that mower, I confessed to God that I'd quit. For me, no longer could I say that I'd retired from ministry. I couldn't say that any longer because in that moment, I became honest with God. God already knew, and I told him in that moment, I quit. It was a powerful moment for me to confess that to God. This moment was important because as David said in Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, there's truly, folks, let me say this. There's truly something healing about confessing your failures to our God. Having what, as we saw earlier, Paul referred to as a godly sorrow, that, that moment when your heart is honest and broken before God and says, I'm sorry to the Lord, okay? Those are big moments. And that day on the moment, I was, that moment, I was simply honest with God, all right, and said, Lord, I quit. That confession was a step in me experiencing God's healing in my life. Because again, when you confess, and, and, and are experiencing that healing, you've got to get ready for the next question, which is, okay, now that you confess, are you ready to go make things right? That's the next logical question, right? Now, a second thing that happened took place while I was painting an apartment for a friend. And as I say that, before you get any ideas, I hate painting, so don't ask me to come paint for you, okay? Amen, Amen. thanks, Mike. Regardless, as I was painting that apartment, I was listening to a podcast of sermons. I needed to do something to kill the monotony of painting, right? And that series of sermons was on forgiveness, a topic that was on point with me because much of my pain came from people who, from my experience, had either hurt me by saying things that were not right or by simply abandoning me in my time of need. 
hear me say this, all right? That was my perspective because there's possibly ways in which I saw things wrongly. Whichever the case, these sermons spoke to my heart and my need to forgive. And so by the time I finished up painting Saturday morning and Saturday night, God had convinced me that I needed to come to the altar and pray the next morning at church. Now, if you've ever had God lead you to that place where you say, I need to go to the altar, you know exactly what happens next, right? You know what happens next? All the reasons come to your mind that you shouldn't go to the altar, right? And you begin this fight within you while I'm not going. You know, for me, I'm thinking, well, listen, if I go to the altar, people are going to notice and they're going to, what are they going to say, right? Because I couldn't be anonymous coming to the altar. There's no way. And so I was thinking, do do I really want to go? All right, so I went to bed that night in the fight. Am I going to do what God has convinced me to do or not? I got up the next morning and the fight was still there. I was not convinced I was going to the altar at church that morning. But lo and behold, I come to church that Sunday morning and Brother Shane preaches on forgiveness. I realized in that moment, God was not fighting fair. He wasn't fighting fair. He had that reckless love. Amen. And so as the sermon ended and the altar call was given, I came to the altar that morning and I laid down that hurt. And I asked God for help me to forgive those who, in my opinion, who'd hurt me. And so that's what I did. Another step in my healing. Now, then there was a third thing that happened when I came and preached the 150th anniversary. Several people were kind in their own ways. They were encouraging me to come back. Some people looked at the list of previous pastors and said, look, they've been down there twice. You can too. You know, different things they said encouraging me to come back. But I wouldn't have told you that day. I would have probably still said at that moment, I don't don't know that that's right, though I was wrestling with it in my heart. But later that day, I received a call from someone who currently is not attending Valley Creek. I'm going to pray they come back. They'd watch the sermon online. In fact, this person, one of those people who's leaving was very painful for me and gave me doubt as to whether I should be the pastor of Valley Creek or not. This person had listened to the sermon online and said some kind words about the message, but then said something like this. You should be back as the pastor of Valley Creek. Through that conversation, I realized that some of the things that I had convinced myself were not really true. Even some of the things about people who had left, this was step three in my healing. Like Peter, a series of three, right, helped me come in a place where I would say, Lord, I'm willing to serve if that's what you want. And what God has done since then, I said, as I'm, as I'm willing is to restore for me, hear me, what he has done in the time since is restore for me the joy of the possibility of serving again. He's restored in me the vision of ministry again and given me the opportunity to be before you today where in a moment you're going to have to make a decision if I'm the one to help feed God's lambs, whether I will be the one to help lead his church in tending God's sheep, or whether I will be the one at helping feeding God's sheep on a regular basis. That is a decision that you will make in a few moments. Am I the one that God wants to lead this wonderful congregation again? However, before we get to voting, there's something else we need to do. Because I believe also this morning, everyone needs to ask this question. How does this apply to me? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I know to be sure. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you know there was a time in your life when God called you. When he called you to leave your life of sin and to follow him. To follow him by believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you remember a time when you said yes to God and said, I will follow you. And, I, and you began to serve the Lord in some capacity. 
It might not have been full-time Christian ministry, but you began to serve him. You began to serve him as you saw your life now as more than just being a medical professional, but you saw yourself as a minister to the sick. You began to see serving as more than just serving others or just being a server to people, but serving and encouraging the people that you serve in the name of Jesus. You saw, saw your life as more than just a teacher, but as one of serving the Lord by helping kids who are hurting in need. You began to see your life as a work-from-home mom, as more than just raising your children to be independent adults, but as a missionary to the greatest mission field in the world, our homes. You began to see your life as more than just living for yourself, but began serving the Lord as you volunteered at church or worked in the crisis pregnancy center or went on mission trips. Whatever that is for you, you remember when God called you and how it was life-changing for you and how you began to serve him. But let's be honest and, 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 and confess this, you ready? That at one time or another, maybe even several times, you failed God. Now, hear me this. You ready? Peter's story is all of our story. Am I right? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get emotional this morning. Peter's story is all of our story. And I know that because of what we're told in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Our tendency is to leave God. Is it not? You all sang the old hymn before, right? That says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God knew what he was doing when he used the analogy of sheep in the scripture to describe his people because sheep have to constantly be herded back in the right direction. Right? We have to continually be kept on the right path because sheep continually want to wonder. That's every one of us here this morning. Because of that reality, I'm convinced that for many who are here today who claim to be believers, the present reality is that you're walking in disobedience to God just as I was. Maybe you let the criticism of someone discourage you and so you quit serving as a volunteer at church. Maybe you let a difficult circumstance cause you to walk away from a career you loved. Maybe you walked away from a relationship when you knew to do so was wrong. Maybe someone hurt you and instead of forgiving as God wants, you're letting that hurt cause you to develop a bitterness that is stealing your joy for God in his church. Maybe you let Satan tempt you and you experienced a moral failure. Maybe Satan tempted you to lie and now you've been covering for that lie ever since. Maybe you've simply hid a sin thinking no one knows but knowing all the time that God knows. Because of your failure, maybe you're living with incredible guilt or regret. Maybe you are living a defeated life and find it hard to move forward. Maybe you are bitter and are seeking to live in isolation. Maybe because of someone hurt you, you're failing to be baptized when God wants you to do, or you're failing to join his church because of what someone did to you. I don't know what that failure is for you, but here's what I know. I don't have time to touch on everything, but here's my guess. If you have failed God, you know what it is this morning. And you're living in it right now. You feel that hurt. You feel that pain. Let me remind you that God's restoration is available to you. Let me read Psalm 103 again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see this morning, 
you're going to be faced with voting on whether I should be your next pastor or not. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really care about that. That's not the most important thing this morning. You'll vote yes or no, and then we'll move from there. But here's what I'm most concerned. If you're sitting in, out there this morning listening, or even if you're online listening this morning, here's what I want you to know. If you're hurting because you believe you've failed God in the past, I want to encourage you not to carry that any longer because our God is a God who restores. I believe in these next moments, if you'll just come to God, maybe come to this altar. Brother Shane will be here. Others, we're here ready to greet you. If you'll just come and say, I'm ready to put that behind me. I'm ready. I know I've failed God. I'm confessing that. And I want God to restore me. I believe today can be the day that you can find a healing that will just bless your heart and will bless those around you. And so my greatest concern this morning in this moment is if you need to come and do business with God, you'll do that. More than I'm concerned whether you vote yes or no for me. Now, even for some of you this morning, it goes maybe a little bit deeper because here's where you're at. You've never given your life to Jesus. You just know the emptiness in your life. You've never given your life to Jesus, but here's what you do know. You do know that you have failed God and you feel the pain and the weight of that failure. Well, I want you to know today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, God wants to save you this morning from your sin. And what he invites you to do is come today and confess that Jesus is Lord. Come confess that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. He came and he died on a cross in the place of your sin. That three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he had the power to forgive sin and to give eternal life. Come and confess that and say, Lord, I lay my life before you. I confess my sin. And Lord, I want you to forgive me. And if you will do that simple prayer today, here's what I know. God will come into your heart. He will forgive you. He will save you. And he will give you new life. So in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you're here as a believer and you believe that you've failed God and you're living in that failure right now, why don't you come and do business with God? Come to this altar. Don't, don't worry about what anybody else is going to think. It doesn't matter. It only matters what God thinks. Come and be willing to lay it down at this altar or talk to Brother Shane or talk to one of the other staff. Talk to somebody and say, I'm ready to be made whole because God's ready to restore. And today, if you're not a believer, come give your life to Jesus because he loves you and he's got a great plan for you because you are who he says you are. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness each and every day because, Father, we know that your word reminds us that we are or that you are a good God who loves us with an amazing, amazing love. A love that we don't deserve. Lord, when we should just be cast aside, Lord, you instead call us back to you to redeem us, to restore us, that we might walk with you. And so, Father, I know as we come to this moment, Lord, after looking into your word, I know in these moments now it's time that we do business with you. And Father, I pray in these moments, if there's just any here who are hurting, there's any here, Lord, who may have a, had a moment in failure and they don't feel like they're walking with you right now, that God, in these moments, Lord, they would come and they would truly make it right with you because I know that you're waiting. Your arms are open. You're ready for them to come and be restored. And so bless these moments with your spirit, God, because I know if anything is going to happen, it has to be through your spirit moving. 
I thank you for the way that you've moved in my life, restored me. But Father, I pray that you'll continue to move this morning and restore lives. So I ask you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen.